I invite you to remain standing for a reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. There's a story of an Episcopal priest appointed to his first church in a small town in the Midwest. And much like you all did for me when I first arrived, the hospitality team put up a bulletin board in the fellowship hall where you could sign up to have the new priest over for dinner. Well, one night the priest traveled to a family's home for dinner and I stood there at the doorstep and rang the doorbell while he adjusted his fresh, new, white, clerical collar. Suddenly the door swung open and there stood a four-year-old girl. Eyes this big glared up at the collared stranger. The priest stared down at the girl and they just kept staring at one another awkwardly for what seemed like forever. And then finally the girl just turned her head toward the kitchen and said, Mommy, Daddy, God's here. (laughs) The actual spirit of a living God living inside another person. Ridiculous. Or is it? Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Later in the New Testament, John says, Those who obey my command, the Father and I will live in him and he in me. Jesus himself says, Those who love me, the Father loves, and we will come to make our home in him. The spirit of a living God coming to live inside a person, maybe not so ridiculous after all, but tough to believe. Especially tough to believe on a week like this one, when it may be actually more easy to believe that something else lives in man, but certainly not Christ. Tough to believe because it's easy to imagine something else living in man. Tough to believe because of the sin and devastation that we witnessed at Virginia Tech. This notion that Christ could live inside any person, impossible. Have you read the paper? Watched the news? Friends, I cannot think of a more pertinent time to proclaim Paul's message in Galatians 2.20. It is possible, and it is this. Living the resurrected life requires that we welcome Christ to make his home inside our body. Now I've got some good news and some bad news about this. The good news is that God wants to live inside our body. As Dallas Willard once wrote, God continues to be radically incarnational, meaning God wants to live inside each of us. But here's the bad news. If God does not live inside our body, then some other unwelcomed guest will. Let me take a moment to talk about three of these unwelcome guests that will live inside your body if Christ does not. For starters, sin. You may have heard the story about the two farmers, one Christian, one non-Christian, who take a break from their work one day 
And the non-Christian farmer asked the Christian farmer, So, Bob, tell me, what does it take to be a Christian? And Farmer Bob thought about it for a little while and said, Well, I don't drink, smoke, or run around with women. At which point the non-Christian replied, Well, then my mule must be a Christian then, because he doesn't drink, smoke, or run around with women either. You know, sometimes I think we're a lot like Farmer Bob, believing that all you have to do to be a good Christian is empty out your sin. The problem with this is we may do a decent job of emptying our sin, but if we never welcome Christ to live inside our body, then the sin will inevitably return as an unwelcome guest. For example, consider this scripture from Luke's Gospel. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it wanders through various places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. You see, it's not good enough just to empty your life of sin and leave Christ on the doorstep because inevitably the sin, much like a boomerang, will inevitably return. And then a second unwelcome guest that will come and live inside your body if Christ does not is just simply darkness. Perhaps you have an empty room in your house or an empty drawer in your office and you'll notice uh, that it's dark. Or take, for example, the second verse in Genesis. Darkness covered the empty void. You see, oftentimes I think I can say the same thing about the body. If Christ does not live there, darkness will. Let me put it another way. There's a story about a church that uh, built a new fellowship hall adjacent to their sanctuary. And they use this fellowship hall every Sunday. But week after week, different Christ-centered groups would call and ask the church if they could use uh, the sanctuary uh, on days that it wasn't Sunday. And the leaders of the church decided that, nah, they didn't want to do that because there could be a broken window or stains on the floor. And as fate would have it, after a 20-year period, because of the lack of air conditioning in the room and the lack of light, they had the building inspected, and sure enough, it was overcome with mildew. And the church had to knock it down, ended up selling the property, and now it's a pizza hut. You see, sometimes I think our body is the same way. When we leave it empty, there's just nothing to separate it from the rest of the darkness in the world. And then a third unwelcome guest that will live in our body, if Christ does not, is just simply death. Interestingly enough, when Paul writes his letter to the Galatians, he does so knowing that there was a group of heretics in Galatia called the Gnostics. And one of the things that Gnostics believed is that they were trapped inside their bodies on earth. And because of that, Christ could not live inside their bodies. So their only hope was to die at which point their faith would finally kick in. It's about like the Sunday school teacher who asked her class of fifth graders, what does it take to get into heaven? If I'm nice to my husband, will I get into heaven? And the children screamed, no. She said, if I'm nice uh, to the people in my church and have a garage sale and give all my money away to the church, will I get into heaven? And the children screamed, no. And she said, if I'm nice to the animals, Will that get me into heaven? And the children screamed, no. And then she said, well, then how can I get into heaven? At which point a fifth grader stood up and said, you've got to be dead. 
Marvin Wilson says, this is the precise problem in the church today. So many Christians look so forward to the spiritual life to come when they die that they neglect the opportunity to glorify Christ in their bodies right now. And when that happens, says Wilson, the result is death. But now that's the bad news. Hear the good news. If Christ is welcomed into your body, then the opposite will occur. Instead of sin and darkness and death, you will see light and life. And the presence of God living inside of your body will make known to the world the existence of a loving and caring Savior. Let me tell you what I mean about this. Three observations. First, instead of sin living inside of your body, goodness will. As I watched some of the sick footage on television this week, I was reminded of a comment that Philip Kennison made in his book on the fruits of the Spirit. He said the reason why the media enjoys portraying such evil characters on television is because they easily hold our attention. But the only thing more attention-grabbing, says Kennison, is when the goodness of Christ lives in someone else. Now call me crazy, but I still believe that. had a phone conversation with a friend of mine in South Carolina a couple weeks ago. He's a youth minister. And he was telling me about a retreat he took with his teenagers. And he said that on the bus ride they were playing the name association game, which is basically somebody says a word and then you say the first word you think of. So for instance, if somebody says baseball, you say Babe Ruth. And my friend decided just for fun he'd mix in every now and then the word Jesus. And he said, Mark, it really hit home. Nine times out of ten, a young person in response to that word would name a youth group leader or a Sunday school teacher. You see, the presence of Christ, the goodness of Christ living inside your body still grabs attention. Now then, a second comment that I would make is that instead of darkness, living in your life, if you welcome Christ to live inside your body, there will be light. For when the Bible often talks about Christ living inside us, it does so using the image of light. For example, in Paul's letter to Philippians, he tells them that we should shine like stars. Or perhaps you saying growing up, this little light of mine. Well, it seems to me like this image of light could not be more relevant than in the world today in 2007. Here's why. In my generation, the primary medium for communication is visual. For instance, if you consider uh, the news media that you watched this week, you saw clips from the Internet or you saw photos from a cell phone or pictures from MySpace.com. And so what I'm learning about this is that when it comes to impacting people, it may not be about reading about Christ anymore or even hearing about Christ. But what does make an impact and can change a person's life is when they witness the living presence of Christ living inside someone else's body. That's why this stuff is just so important. Because when Christ comes to live in your body, He takes on a visual reality. There's light, something other people can see. And it's that visual reality that is precisely what it's called for in the year 2007. And then finally, if you welcome Christ to live in your body, and instead of death 
living there. There will be life. Some days ago, you may have seen it, I picked up a Time magazine at HEB entitled, Why We Should Teach the Bible in Public Schools. And proponents of this argue that uh, Bible learning is uh, crucial for being a well-rounded citizen. Now, I don't know what to think about this. I don't know what you may think. I'm sure you can. there's pros and cons to the debate. But I often wonder, is this really the best way to bring life into the world? I think about my own education, and I think about the last day of my worship class in seminary. The professor had us practice baptizing. But in lieu of children, we baptized big bags of Uncle Ben's rice. Now at the time, I I knew something about baptism, the old life of sin washed away and the new life in Christ. And I suppose baptizing the rice bags was helpful. But it wasn't until I actually held a living human being that I got it. What if instead of a dead rice bag, you could have a living person? What if instead of Shakespeare on Tuesday, Bible on Wednesday, you could have the living presence of Christ who has made his home inside your parents or inside a friend or inside a teacher? What if that same living presence of Christ could be revealed to your neighbor? What if two weeks, Two months, two years from now, a young family shows up here at the church and sits down next to you in your pew. And before the gospel is even preached, or even before the scripture is read, the young daughter looks around the sanctuary, notices the people, and whispers, Mommy, Daddy, God's here. What if? What if? Paul says, it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me.